Kerr, my wife Christy and I are the pastors here. We'd love to meet you after the service. We are starting a new series tonight. So it's called The Skeptic and the Believer. We good? We're going to, with the next few weeks, we're going to ask all the difficult questions about church and the Bible and Christianity and God and science and morality and how it all works together. And I'm going to answer every question in just four short weeks. No, that's not what's going to happen at all. I do not have all the answers. But we wanted, I wanted to dive into a new series um, as we started our Saturday night services as well. It's going to be great. Um, this is a series called The Skeptic and the Believer. And this really comes from years and years of hearing people ask questions about faith. And maybe you have experienced that. People ask the big questions about faith. Well, why should we even believe what the Bible says? Does God even exist? Doesn't science prove that God doesn't exist? What about Christians? How come there's so many lousy Christians if they were supposed to be loving God? And I don't have the answer for that one. Um, so if you're waiting for the answer to that one, I don't got it. Um, all of these questions that we have, and I know that some people naturally are bent towards skepticism. They need the proof. They need, well, God, if you're, maybe you've prayed this, or you've I've heard of someone praying this, or you know someone who prayed this. God, if you're real, make lightning happen right now, or make a giant uh, asteroid fly through the sky right now, or something like that, right? They want the proof. They want the proof. So I know that most people kind of fall into one of two categories. Some people are naturally pure of heart. They're trusting. Whatever they're told, they believe it, no matter who tells it to them. Or what they read on the internet, they just believe that it's, this person must be telling them the truth. And some people, on the other hand, are naturally skeptical and instantly question everything they hear. No matter who tells them, even if they're a teacher or an expert or somebody very knowledgeable, instantly they're skeptical and they're wondering if they can trust what they have been told. Now, sometimes those two people, the believer and the skeptical person, get married and plant a church together. <laughs> Christy is pure of heart. In case you were wondering, I wonder which one is which in the Kerr household. Christy's the one that's pure of heart. She's so trusting. She's so trusting. She believe, If you tell her something, she'll believe it because she just assumes that person is saying words, they must be true. I don't understand how you get that way, but that's how Christy is. There's a story. Kate's here. Kate and her, brother, uh, her husband, Christy's sister is Kate. Kate's husband is Rick. They had a dog a long time ago named Buzz. And Buzz had many, many health problems. He was going blind, and he kept running into things and injuring himself, and then he was going deaf, and he had some other things. So it was time for Buzz to go home across the rainbow bridge and I knew this was I knew this was coming and one day Christy came home and said you'll never guess what happened and I said what he said they found a place for Buzz to go they found a farm some guy in Wisconsin <laughs> has a farm with lots of land and he's got some dogs and Buzz can just live there isn't that great and I just went Christy no that's not what happened and she said yes it is Rick said they found a guy I said Christy you fell for the farm in Wisconsin story. That's not what happens. She finally went back to Rick and said, did that really happen? And Rick's like, no, of course not. Rick's own kids figured it out before Christy did, right? She's trusting. She believes what she's told. I am not pure of heart and trusting. I question everything to my detriment, right? I question everything. I'm always suspicious of an agenda. If somebody, I'm always like, if somebody's trying to sell me something, I'm like, there's no way. 
There's no way what you're saying is true. The car dealer says, well, I don't know how long this car is going to be around if you leave the dealer today. I know that that's a line that they give everybody. I know that there's no, like, people aren't lined up to buy that car. I'm instantly, the joke that we have in our house, the line that I'll say, sometimes joking and sometimes serious, is like, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. Whoever's talking about, oh, I see it. That's how they get you. I am naturally skeptical. I question things. Um, skeptics like me, we miss out on so much simple joy, right? Christy would say that. Why do you have to be so questioning? Why do you have to be so skeptical? We miss out on a lot of simple joy, a lot of peace. That's what skeptics miss out on. Believers, on the other hand, well, they're the reason there are internet scams, right? And pyramid schemes. That's why, because of the believers. Like, this seems like a good deal. If I just get more people in my downline, then we're going to get money, right? I, I can't believe it. There's this prince in Nigeria who has all this money who wants to email it to me, right? The, the believers are why there is a booming timeshare industry in the world, right? Because that sounds like a good idea. Christy and I went to a timeshare presentation when we were early, early on in our marriage because we were real poor. And somebody said, we'll give you a $50 Mall of America gift card if you come listen to this timeshare presentation. Anyone been in one of those? Do they still do those? Do the believers still go to those things? Or So we went, and we had a game plan going into it. We are not buying a timeshare. We are here for the gift card, and we knew it. And Christy was actually worried about me falling for it, and I'm like, I'm not falling for it. So the guy went through the whole thing, went through the whole thing, and I'm just sitting there waiting, like, I'm just waiting for this to end. I want my $50 gift card. And he finally gets to the end, so he's like, so where should we sign? Should we go through this? And I was just about to say, sorry, we're not interested. Where's my gift card? And I look at Christy, and she's like, I think we should do it. This sounds like a good idea. And I'm like, Christy, we had a plan. No. So all that to say, the same dynamic applies to Christianity, doesn't it? Believers and skeptics. Believers and skeptics. And that's okay. If you're here tonight, maybe you knew we were doing this series, or maybe somebody dragged you to church tonight, and you are a skeptic. You say, I don't believe in most of what I hear at church. You have to question everything. You need the proof. You need the evidence. That's okay. I'm glad you're here tonight. We need skeptics in the church. It helps us. It helps us be able to answer questions when people come with questions. And if you're here and you're a believer and you went to Sunday school and a Sunday school teacher said, Jesus died and rose for your sins and you'll be in heaven one day. And you're like, that's all I need. Sunday school teacher said it. Great. We're glad that we're here. That you're here too. But I know that there are skeptics here or maybe you're watching online or maybe you're listening to this some other time. And you need to question everything. And you read the Bible and you're like, Really? a giant boat with one family on it, and they found two of every animal and put them on this boat, except the dinosaurs for some reason. They didn't put the dinosaurs on the boat because they were too big, really? And then you start thinking, well, why? what about the small dinosaurs? Couldn't they put some small dinosaurs? The small dinosaurs are taking up way less space than those elephants over there. Why didn't they get rid of the elephants and put like five small species of dinosaurs on there? And, you know, you start thinking about that. Re Am I the only one who thinks that way? You've never thought that? You're a believer. You're pure of heart. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Brooke. Right? You think about these things. Or really, the earth was created in seven actual days, the whole earth, and it was like 6,000 years ago. Really? That's how old the earth was? Like, God created it with fossils that are billions of years old? Like, you start wondering about all these things. And you start hearing people say, well, this is the Bible. This is the Word of God. It's this magical book that has the words of God, and you should never question it. And you think, really? Really? 
Are we just supposed to believe it? So if you're a skeptic and you're here tonight, I'm glad you're here. This series is for both people, the skeptic and the believer. That's why we called it the skeptic and the believer. And hopefully we'll be able to talk through some of these issues and questions that some people have or some of the previous held beliefs that we have that we just were told that we're, we grew up in church and we're like, well, I, I know this is true because that's what they said in church. Hopefully we can all kind of wrestle with some of these questions and get to a point where we realize, A, our questions are okay with God. And B, that we can just have a place where we can talk about it. And if you're here and you're like, I'm not ready to believe all this stuff, that's great. We want to talk about these things. And I'm hoping that if you're here and you're a skeptic, that you would just open your heart enough to at least ask some of the questions. And if you're a believer, I'm hoping that you're here and you'll ask some of the questions too. That you'll, you'll begin to question some of your beliefs. Not that you would doubt them, but that you would just address them. And, and so that you would know how to communicate with other people in the world around you. Your questions are okay. Your faith is not fragile, right? Your faith in God is not teetering on the brink of, well, as long as they can find the remains of Noah's Ark, then I know that I'm on the right team, right? Your faith is not fragile, so some of the topics we're going to talk about in the next few weeks are this. Does God exist? And what about science? Doesn't science say that God doesn't exist? Why is there so much evil in the world if God is good and loving? Could a good, loving God really send people to hell? Why are there so many Christians that are so awful? I already mentioned that. I don't have the answer to that one, but we'll talk about it. And today we kick it off with the Bible, the Holy Bible. What is this? What is this? Why are so many people basing their life on this book? Many people have objections to the Bible. And some people think it was a book that was put together by a group of white men in the 4th century in Rome with Emperor Constantine at the Council of Nicaea, and they just decided to put together a bunch of words and call it the Bible, right? Some people think it's historically inaccurate. Some people think it's proven wrong by science, in some parts of the world, in some cultures, or some groups of people, this is considered hate speech. Part of this is considered hateful. You can't preach that because it is hateful towards certain groups of people. Many people see the Bible as a threat. And that's because many people use the Bible as a weapon to try to get control over people. A lot of people see it as irrelevant or man-made fairy tales that have no authority, especially in today's modern morality and modern age. And yet there are billions of people around the world that see this as the word of God, the very words of God, inspired by God for different writers to write so that we would know what God is like, so that we would know how we can live in this new relationship with Christ, so that we could learn about Jesus in the early church, that God himself inspired the writers of this book to write what they did. I have a, my first job ever was in lawn maintenance, at Snippers Lawn Maintenance. That's an awkward transition, right? Snippers Lawn Maintenance right out of high school. And, uh, and I worked with a guy named Barry. Barry was a hyper-Christian, super hyper-Christian. And we would go, and we, our job was to mow lawns, and we would we'd get like these big condominium complexes with like 100 tiny backyards. And it was our job, me and Barry, our job to go around and mow all these tiny backyards. Like, this state, like half of this stage was one backyard. And we would go and we'd just do that hundreds of times. Well, well, Barry was always on the lookout for people wandering around that he could witness to. And he would see somebody and he'd leave his lawnmower and he'd go over and he's like wagging the Christian finger at, especially if he saw some Jehovah's Witnesses or some Mormons going door to door. If he saw the, the, the white shirts and the black pants, he was like, excuse me. And I'm like, 
I don't want to mow all these lawns myself. But Barry was gone, and he would argue with them. And then we'd get back in the truck, and I'd say, how'd that go? He's like, well, good, because they asked about this, and I quoted Romans at him. And then they asked about this, and I quoted Joshua at him. And then I said, well, what about this? And then I quoted Corinthians, and I said this about this verse. And I said, Barry, what happens if they don't believe the Bible is true? You're quoting the Bible at them. Why would they believe the Bible? And he was looking at me like I had just like shattered his existence. Like, what do you mean? Of course it's true. I said, I know it's true. But you're, you're trying to prove the Bible is true by quoting the Bible, right? It doesn't take long for that logic to fall apart, right? Why do we do what the Bible says? Because it's the truth. And how do we know it's the truth? Because it says so. I mean, that is kind of circular logic that begins to break down if you don't believe in what the Bible says. And many of us grew up in a faith that was, well, the Bible says so. Like, you would go to your mother and say, well, why do I have to do this? And your mom's best answer was, because I said so. There was no defense for that, right? We do the same thing with the Bible. Why do we question, why question what the Bible says? It's truth, because the Bible says so. And many of us grew up in that faith, and what we have in today's world is a lot of people that grew up in the faith in the church that just said, well, you do this because the Bible says so, and we believe the Bible because the Bible says to believe the Bible. And then they get out of the home, and they go to college, or they move out, and they begin to question all these things. Like, well, what about this? This doesn't really make sense. And the Bible said so faith doesn't really hold water for them as they grow up, as they are faced with all the questions in the world. Anybody relate to that? Anyone have an experience like that growing up? Maybe some of you are there right now. So we're going to start tonight looking at the Bible. What is this? So I have a slide I'm going to put up there, and this is just basic Bible info. Some of this is going to be like, I know all this, and some of this you might be, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. The Bible is not a book. I mean, it's a book, but it's not a single book. Somebody did not sit down one day as the, as the skies opened and the hand of God came down and touched their hand. They didn't just write the whole Bible cover to cover. The Bible is a collection of 66 different writings. So we know them in the Bible as 66 books of the Bible. And they were written over a period of about 1,500 years, from about 1,500 B.C. to the end of the first century. And there's about 40 different authors and 66 different books in the Bible. Now, some of these books are the history of Israel. In the Old Testament, there's a lot about the history of Israel. Some of the books, especially in the Old Testament, are poetry. Some of them are prophecy. Some of them talk all about the Jewish law. Many of them, especially in the New Testament, are written are letters that were written from one person to another individual or another group of people. I say that all the time if we're reading through like the book of Romans or the Galatians. Those are letters that Paul actually wrote. He wrote a letter to a group of people. These are collected and these are what is in the Bible, these writings, these 66 different writings. It's divided into the Old and New Testament. I know some of this is like old news for a lot of you, but some of you, it's brand new. We get questions from people who say, well, what's the old and what's the new and why are there numbers? And the numbers weren't there. The numbers are chapters and verses just to help us find where we're going in the Bible. The Old Testament or what we would call the Old Covenant had all to do with the, with the nation of Israel and God's covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. The New Testament is about Jesus and his life, and his ministry, and then the beginning of the church. So, why is it such a big deal? Why is this book such a big deal? Well, there really is, and here's what I believe, and what many believe, and what the Bible tells us is true. There really is one 
author. Throughout all 66 books, the writers make this claim that God has inspired their words. That God has inspired the writers to write what they did. Now, if that's the case, right, then that's the whole ballgame. If the God of the universe, the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, inspired people to write what's in this book, in this collection of writings, well, then that's the ballgame. But that's, you know, a big leap for a lot of people. Why should we believe that's the case? What credibility is there? What credibility is there that any of this stuff is actually true? Now, we're going to get there. I'm going to say that a lot tonight. We're going to cover that again. I'm giving you lots of, of teasers and cliffhangers tonight, so you'll come back. Um, so I already talked about the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is about God of Israel who claimed to be the one true God. If you look in your Bible, the Old Testament starts with Genesis, goes all the way up to Malachi. That's the Old Testament. It is about God's relationship with Israel. God revealed himself as the one true God. Back in those days, thousands of years before Christ came, every nation had a God. Every nation had a God, and whatever nation was more prosperous or more victorious, people would say, well, their God is more powerful. And all of a sudden, Israel makes this claim that God, the one true God, has revealed himself to us, and he is the creator of everything. God spoke to a man named Abraham. If you're wondering where this whole thing got started, in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, we can read that, and it says this, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This was the start of God's relationship with the children of Abraham or the nation of Israel. And I love that last line, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. A lot of people look at the Old Testament and they say, well, why would God put all his favor on one group of people? God's design was that everybody on the earth would be blessed because of this relationship. That every nation on the earth could look at Israel and look at their God and learn about the one true God. To learn how God loves his people. To learn about this covenant relationship. So, God's design was that all the families on the earth would be blessed. And this happened, and Abraham had a son, Isaac, and then Isaac had a son. You can read all about this in Genesis, and they multiplied, and it became the nation of Israel. But it wasn't like anybody was writing this all down. It wasn't like Abraham said, okay, well, God spoke to me. I better start writing, because this is going to be the Bible one day. Abraham wasn't writing anything down. He was just trying to go where God told him to go. So none of this was written when all this was happening with Abraham. Many generations later... When the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and God delivers them out of slavery in Egypt and Moses now leads them across the, dead, the Red Sea and then he is leading them towards the promised land and there's a, there's a time where God calls Moses up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he gives him the law, these two tablets that contain the law of Israel. All the things that the Israelites had to do to have a good relationship with God, God provides them you know, inscribed on these stone tablets. That would be, most scholars believe, the first time anything in Scripture was actually, like, written down by the hands of God. And then Moses, sometime after that, I'm not sure when, probably thought, it seems like important stuff we're doing. Maybe we should write some of this down. So Moses would be the first one. He would have a scribe who would write down, and he was the one who wrote, now this is a churchy word, the Pentateuch. Anyone know what the Pentateuch is? 
few people nodding. It's the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis is an exciting book. Exodus is an exciting book. Leviticus and Numbers, it gets a little bit of a, it's a deep dive into a lot of law there. If you've ever decided to read through the Bible, Leviticus is where you gave up. That's the, but those are the Pentateuch. Moses, and a, or a scribe, wrote that down, the first five books of the Bible, the original Bible, the OG Bible. That's what Moses did. And including all the stories he had heard. So up until that point, every story about Adam and Eve and Noah and the ark and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all those stories would just be passed on verbally. They would just be stories that would be told. This is how things were passed on, by telling stories and singing songs about what God did and reciting prayers about what God did. There was times where God would instruct Israel to build a monument. After they would, do, after they would see God do something mighty, God would say, build a monument so that generations down the road, they're going to come back and say, what's up with this pile of stones? And you can tell them the story. The idea was to pass on who God is, what he has done for us, how faithful he is so that the next generation would keep knowing what God is like. Now, we take that to heart, certainly. This is why we have kids' church and youth ministry, and we pour a lot of resources into that because first and foremost, we want to make sure our faith gets handed down to the next generation. God was doing that. The Israelites were doing that. But it wasn't until Moses that they started writing it down. Now, this is important to know. So when you're reading this, you know what you're reading. It's important to know some of these things about the Bible so that when you just flip open a verse and you read that and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. You can look at the book and you can say, oh, well, this was written by this person. This was written during this time. This was intended to be prophecy or a prayer or a song. This is actual history. So there's a lot of chunks in the Bible where you read them. It's so important to know what you are reading. Writers then recorded the history of Israel in the book of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. And then after that, much of the Old Testament is the writings of prophets. Great prophets, Daniel, um, great pro Jeremiah, Isaiah, that they were hearing from God and they were, they were speaking these things or writing these things to the nation of Israel. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. And you might be thinking what I think at times, why is that important? We are not the nation of Israel, Right? We are not the Israelites. The Old Testament is important because when we read that, we get a glimpse of what God is like. We learn about the one true God. We learn about how God relates with his people, how he shows mercy to his people. We learn about God, how he revealed himself to Adam and Eve in the garden, who spoke to Abraham, who led Israel, who declares himself to be the one true God the creator, the final authority over all things. That's pretty important. If you believe it, that's pretty important. We learn about God's love to a very stubborn people. I'm one of those stubborn people, so that's important to me to learn about those things. We learn about his holiness. We learn about his judgment of sin and the mercy he gives to his people. But most importantly, and here's the one thing, if you read the Old Testament, the one thing you have to know is it points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament gives that old covenant of animal sacrifice and follow the rules so that you can be accepted by God. And it points to a day, one day, where there's going to be someone who's going to come, a Messiah who's going to save his people, and once and for all make that relationship with God right. Now, if you watch movies, you hear that and you're like, that sounds just like Star Wars and The Matrix 
and Harry Potter and any other movie that talks about the chosen one that's going to come and bring balance to the force or defeat the matrix machines or to do all, you know, we hear that and we're like, well, this is just another Luke Skywalker fairy tale, right? But that Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, this isn't just fairy tale, and we're going to get into this more next week, is there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus that came true in the life of Jesus that the chances of that happening are staggering. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But the Old Testament is important because it points to our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's important to Jesus. Jesus refers to the Old Testament. There's so many times when you're reading the Gospels that Jesus is saying, it's written, or have you not heard, or it says in the Scriptures, and Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. So it's important to him, and therefore it's important to me. However, and here's why I'm going with all of this, my faith, my Christian faith is not based on the Old Testament. My faith is not based on anything in the Old Testament. Now, you might be like, what in the world? If you were to tell me that Noah's Ark was not real, we've never found it, it was just a story that they told from generation to generation, I'm like, that's okay. My faith is not shaken in that. If you say, yeah, science says it's not possible that the earth is 4,000 or 6,000 years old, my faith is not shaken because of that. My faith is not based on the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament. If you read the New Testament, there's the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the life and teachings of Jesus. And then there's other books. The book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who also wrote Luke. That's the start of the church. And then after that, it's a lot of letters. Like I said, letters written from Paul to different groups of people. It's the life and teaching of Jesus. It's how the church began. If you're going to start reading the Bible, if you've never read the Bible and you just want to start, start with the Gospels. Start with Jesus. Read about Jesus. I want you to read one of the Gospels, hear about him. A lot of people have a lot of objections about Christianity based on what they've heard from somebody else about the Old Testament or what they've heard about what science says about something or how they've seen Christians around the world behave poorly, and that's their objections. And every time Christine and I have a conversation with someone like that, we say, just start with Jesus. Just get to know Jesus, right? Get to know who he is, what he taught, this is where I want you to start if you're just starting out reading the Bible. Now, one objection people have, if you're skeptical, you would say, well, the Gospels were written so many years after the events. The Gospel of Mark was written 30 years after Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven. 30 years. I can't remember what my wife told me yesterday, let alone if I were to remember 30 years ago. Remember I met that one guy and I should write that down? Of course there's going to be, you know, people, their objections is how could Mark remember 30 years later? The Gospel of Matthew and Luke was written 50 years after Jesus died and rose again. And the Gospel of John probably 60 years so wouldn't that time lapse lead to inaccuracies? A lot of people question the Bible that way. And what I say, and what other scholars say, is that time frame actually leads to a lot of credibility. For example, Mark's writing his gospel 30 years after Jesus died and rose. So there's going to be a lot of people still alive that were alive when Jesus was. There was a lot of eyewitnesses still alive. So Mark's writing down his gospel, and he's writing all this stuff. And if he's making stuff up, there's going to be a number of eyewitnesses who can refute what he's saying because he's writing it while there are eyewitnesses still alive. And so if he's saying, well, then this person, this person did this and this, well, that person's still alive, and he could say, that's not how it happened. So the, the timeline of this actually leads to the credibility 
of the gospel message. That there were so many eyewitnesses that could easily refute what the gospel writers were saying. The gospel of Luke, Luke wasn't even around Jesus when Jesus was doing all the things. He came on the scene later. He heard about Jesus years and years and years later, and he says, I need to go investigate this and find out for myself. He was a doctor. He was very organized and diligent. And if you read the gospel of Luke, it's like more detail is in there because you get his personality. We believe that God was was inspiring him to write what he did, but you still see his personality come out in the writing. It was very detailed, all sorts of names and details about places because he was coming at this like a scientist, like, I got to find out all the details. So he talked to all sorts of eyewitnesses and he made an account. The gospel accounts are very, very, very similar in what they communicate. A lot of stories about Jesus are in multiple different gospels. And in addition to that, there's historical information verified by non-Christian writers that, that uh, validate what's in the Gospels. There were Roman historians, not connected to Jesus or the Christian faith at all, that write of Pilate's execution of a man named Jesus. And there was one quote that I read how this writing from a Roman historian said, this Pilate executed this man named Jesus and then a pernicious superstition broke out in Judea after this happened, like referring to how all the people said that Jesus rose from the dead. This Roman historian is writing about that, how there was this superstition that everyone thought Jesus rose from the dead. There's another historian named Josephus, well-known, widely accepted historical writer who lived during the first century, and he wrote of Jesus of Nazareth. He's not a follower. He's not writing as a follower of Jesus. He was a historian writing about Jesus of Nazareth. The events and people in the Bible are historically verified by multiple sources. And they are verified over and over again by archaeology. You know, archaeology in the 1900s and up until now, just the way that they can uncover things that existed thousands and thousands of years ago, they make all these amazing discoveries. There has never been one archaeological discovery that has refuted something that the Bible says. And we're going to talk about more next week. Dun-dun-dun. And then finally, with the Bible, we have a modern opinion that says, wasn't the Bible just written or decided by Emperor Constantine at the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century in Rome? That's popular on TikTok these days. If you watch the TikTok, you'll hear people like, why are you following the Bible? It wasn't even there. It was written in the 4th century by the Roman emperor with a bunch of people. They just made it up. That's not accurate. That's actually the plot of the Da Vinci Code. So you're thinking of the Da Vinci Code which is a great book and movie, but not accurate. That's not what happened. The writings of Scripture were in existence well before that. So why should we believe it? Why should we believe it? Next week, we're going to talk about how there's old manuscripts that were found, original writings, and I'm going to talk more about archaeology and the prophecies that came true. And people say, well, what about contradictions between the Gospels? We're going to talk about all of that next week. But here's where we end today in the few minutes I have left. Here's what I want to talk about. I'm a believer. Now, I know I started this out by saying I'm naturally a skeptical person, and I am naturally a skeptical person. And I look at some of these things even in the Scripture, and I'm like, ah, really? But I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. I believe he died for our sins, and he rose again and ascended to heaven, and I believe he's coming back one day. I believe there is one God who created everything, He created you and me in his image with value and purpose, that there is no human life that is not valuable. I believe these things. Why do I believe that? 
I believe that based on more than what I read in the Bible. I believe in one true God that created everything because I go outside and I look around and in a world that says this all happened by accident, just the intricacies of creation, of the human body, of animals and ecosystems and and people say, well, that's just happened by chance. That just There was this thing that happened and two molecules hit and the friction caused this and it just, it just randomly and somehow miraculously made this great intricate creation that we live in. I think about that and I, it's almost like if you, had, if you had all the parts necessary to make a watch, like think of a watch, old school watch with all the little tiny gears and mechanisms and everything that just is so finely tuned and it's just like works like clockwork. It just, <laughs> it just came to me right now. It's always going, folks. You take all the parts of what would make a watch and you fly in an airplane up a couple thousand feet and you just throw it out the window and somehow believe that while it's falling to the ground, it's just going to randomly kind of connect and get attached and just have this intricate design by the time it hits the ground. That's kind of how I think about this creation just happening randomly. Any sign, like you do not, and we'll talk about more of this, in a couple of weeks. You don't have to be either religious or science-based. Many, many of the top scientists in the world believe in God who created the universe because scientists, the more they look into it, it just speaks about design. It speaks of a design, intricate, that does not happen by chance. And if there's a design, there's got to be a designer. And that's why I believe that because I look around. I look around and I say, this can't have happened by chance. My faith is not based on the Old Testament, anything in there, not on a seven-day creation or Noah's Ark or why there was no dinosaurs on the Ark or anything like that. My faith is not based on the word-for-word scientific accuracy of the book of Genesis in the creation account. My belief and my faith comes from one thing, one thing. And that anchors my belief in God, that anchors everything I believe about God and about creation, and that one thing is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where my faith is. That's where my faith is. Now, that's the whole movement, isn't it? That's why the Christian church exists, and we're going to talk about that again in a couple of weeks. That's why the whole church exists, because Jesus' death and resurrection. If he didn't rise from the dead, none of this stuff happens. There is no Christianity. There is no Christian movement. But if Jesus died and rose again, if he talked about how he was the son of God, come to take our sins upon him, to make a sacrifice once and for all, and he was crucified by Roman rulers, and then he rose again victorious over sin and the grave, and then ascended to heaven, if that happened, that's the ball game, right? That's all I need to know. I go with the guy who called his death and resurrection and then pulled it off, right? If there's a guy who does that, I'm with him because not many people can do that, right? That is why I believe in God. That is why I take the scripture seriously because Jesus took the scripture seriously. So when it comes down to whether we believe all that we read in the Gospels, that's really it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this talks about the life and teachings of Jesus, talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Can we trust that that happened? And if it did, man, that's the ballgame. That's why I believe. And for me, it's also just a, a, an experience or a recognition of what Jesus has done in my life. And we're going to close with this. This is... There's a verse in Psalm 
34, verse 8, that says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is my testimony. I've given my life to Jesus, and it hasn't been a thing where I'm like, okay, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, and I hope I'm right. I've sensed his presence in my life. I've seen miracles happen when we pray. We've had family members in our family that were days from death. The doctor said there's nothing more we can do, and we had people pray, and those people were made well. Even the doctor said, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like it healed. I've experienced the presence of God. I don't believe it's just hype. When I come into an environment like this and I sing song of worship and I, and I sense things, I feel things, I don't think that's just emotion. I mean, music can be em- em- emotional, but there's something about the presence of God that causes me to think, okay, this isn't just made up. This isn't just hype. I've seen people's lives changed. I was at a, a dinner for all in ministries, Dennis and Patty Otto. Zach, you were there talking about life change. You got no problem believing that Jesus is alive and real because of what he's done in your life, right? This is our testimony. I've seen lives changed. I felt things that caused me to think that the voice of God was actually speaking to me, not audible, booming voice, because I think that would cause me to be scared. Um, I but I sense like this, I feel like this is God speaking to me. And so what if I get to the end of my life and surprise, it was all made up. It was all just emotion. This was just something that some guys wrote and they said, let's pretend this happened and we'll keep it a secret, right? And it was all just made up and billions of people, billions and billions over the history of the world were fooled and we get to the end of our life and we realize it was all made up. Well, I don't believe that's going to happen, but if it does, it's I would still say it was a great life. The teachings of Jesus are a great model to live after. This was a great life. But what if the Bible is right? What if the Gospels are right about the story of Jesus? And tonight, maybe this is your chance to know your creator, to be forgiven of your sin, to receive new life, to have a testimony like Zach, who was lost in addiction, in prison. His life just torn apart, and Jesus came in and turned it around and brought healing. What if this is your chance to know your creator? If it's not just made up, to be forgiven and receive new life. There's a story of a skeptic in the New Testament. One of the 12 disciples. He's actually known as Doubting Thomas. His name is Thomas, but he's known as Doubting Thomas because he was skeptical. And I want to read these verses. This is what happened in John chapter 20. This is after Jesus died and then rose again. John chapter 20, verse 26 through 29. It says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked... Oh, what ha- sorry, what happened was Jesus appeared to some of the disciples first, but Thomas wasn't there. And then Thomas comes and sees the disciples, and the disciples are like, guess what? We saw Jesus. And Thomas is like, hmm, I don't think so, right? Maybe you would have been like that. And he says, unless I see the nails the nail-pierced hands, unless I see him with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe. And then it says this in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting 
and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I love that moment with Jesus and the skeptic, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I don't think that's a rebuke. I don't think Jesus is somehow offended by Thomas's need for some a little more evidence, right? I think it's just an encouragement to say, Thomas, this is going to be way better if you would just trust me, if you would just believe. Look at what I've done. Now I want you to have that faith. I don't want you to walk through every day of your life thinking, well, I need to see this. I need to have proof. There's going to be a faith element. So if you're skeptical tonight, that's okay. That's okay. We would love you have you. We would love to have you be a part of this church with your skepticism. That's not worrisome to us. Your questions are welcome. Your doubts are welcome. And what we would do is the same as what happened to Thomas. We just want to point you to Jesus. I have no interest in arguing anybody into the kingdom. Like my coworker Barry at Snippers Lawn Maintenance. Right? I don't want to debate you. And some people do. Maybe you've encountered Christians that just want to argue you into the kingdom. And if you have, I apologize for that on their behalf. But here's the deal. All I'll say is there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died and rose for your sin. So that a sinful people like us could be holy or could be accepted by a holy God. The righteousness of Christ. So that when a holy God looks at us and normally would just see our sin and a holy God can't be around sin. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ so that we could be in a relationship with God, so that our lives could be turned around. So bring your doubts and your fears to God, and I would just say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't have to have it all figured out before you open up your heart to Jesus. You could just say, Jesus, I'm going to at least just take a step, and I'm going to ask you to kind of reveal yourself to me. And I still got all sorts of questions, and that doesn't scare Jesus. I think if you just said, I just want to open up my heart to you and just ask that you would reveal yourself to me. Make yourself real in my life. There's times in scriptures where people did say, God, if you're real, I'm going to do this and please speak to me or please give me a sign. That's okay. I'm just saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that Jesus is good. So our prayer at this church and our prayer through this series, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, is that you would just experience the love of Jesus Christ. And that the best part of a church like this is that you would get to experience the love of God's people, the family of God. It's really clear in the New Testament that the way people are going to know that Jesus is good and kind and loving is how they watch the Christians behave. So we got to do a better job at that, Christians, right? But I want you, if you're skeptical, to just bring your fears or your doubts or your skepticism or your questions and just bring them to Jesus and say, Jesus... I don't know if I got all the answers, but would you make yourself real in my life? And if you would just, if you want to receive Jesus, you just simply say, Jesus, I need a savior. I'm a sinner. I need a savior so that my relationship with God, my creator, the one true God could be restored. And you now have that relationship. You now experience why you were made and put on this earth to have a relationship with the one true God. Amen? there's a lot of people in the room tonight who've experienced that, right? You've experienced that. Your life's been changed by Jesus Christ. So if you're not one of those or you're skeptical or you're unsure, I just invite you to just open up your heart to Jesus. So let's close in prayer tonight.
And if that's you and you've never given your life to the Lord, then you would like to become a Christian or a follower of Jesus and you would like your sin and your past and your failure to be covered by the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Just receive it. Just say, Jesus, I receive your mercy. I need a savior. I know that you died for me and rose again. I believe it and I receive it. And if you would do that just in your heart, it's a matter of faith. If you would do that, then the Bible says that you are a new creation. So Jesus, we thank you. I thank you that you are alive, that you are still speaking. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are still drawing people to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be walking examples of people of faith. And even when we have doubts at time, that we would trust you. Even when things don't make sense at times, we would trust you, continue to offer our lives to you, that you would be lifted up and glorified in everything that we do. And I pray for those who have questions or hurt, I pray that you would just soften their hearts, that you would reveal yourself to even the hardest heart this week, that you would make yourself known. We ask all of these things in the great name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for being here inaugural Saturday night service. You're charter members of the Saturday night club. We should make jackets or something. That'd be great. I would love to meet you after the service. Um, If you want to have someone pray for you,